Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This is our 50th message, 50th message in uh, the book of Acts this Sunday morning. We're here, and uh, by way of review, where are we in this chapter? What's happening in Acts 17? If we can throw up that map of the second missionary journey there, where are we? We are in Europe. We're in Europe. That's where Acts 17 is happening. The gospel has come to Europe for the very first time. The place where it landed in Europe is that dot right at the top, the highest dot on the map where it says Philippi, right up at the top edge there toward the left. Philippi was Acts 16. And then last week we saw where Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke is with them a little bit. They, they moved, they went through Amphipolis, they went through Apollonia, and they landed in Thessalonica. And uh, last week we looked at the, uh, as they brought the gospel to Thessalonica, and we talked about turning the world upside down. And we saw what it was, that, that was not a compliment, but it's, it's how they were described. I would take it as a compliment if somebody said it, but they didn't mean it as a compliment. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These ones we've heard about that are making a change everywhere they go, they're here. And we talked last week about that in Thessalonica. And so we're in Europe. Today we're going to be in three cities in Europe. We'll bring this map up a couple other times throughout the message. But we're going to be in three cities, Thessalonica, then the next dot, and the next dot. We'll get to those in a little bit. So Acts 17, as we're studying what we're studying today, we're in Europe. Uh, When is Acts 17? When is this happening? It's about 20 years after Christ's death, uh, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension. So we're about 20 years. Paul... And the disciples have been sharing the gospel, baptizing converts, establishing churches for close to two decades now. That's where we find ourselves in Acts 17, about 20 years after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Who are the main characters of Acts 17? We have Paul. He's on his second missionary journey. His his ministry partner, Silas, is with him for the first time. Silas didn't go with him on the first journey. And they've picked up Timothy. In Lystra, they picked up young Timothy. And then at times, Luke is joining them as well. And so here in Acts 17, I'm not going to take a lot of time for review. If you've missed a message and you'd like to catch up, you can always jump on our podcast or our website and find any of the messages in our series. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump right into it. But in this chapter, the travels of Paul in this chapter show us at least four different responses to the truths of the Word of God by people in this chapter. But these four responses are responses that we still find today. And my message this morning is this, what will you do with the word? What will you do, Richard and Victoria, good to have you guys back in church, we've missed you. What will you do with the word? And I want you to really think about your response to the word of God in your life. This morning, I want you to answer that question in your own heart. Paul and Silas, as they visit these three different cities, we're going to see at least four different responses. There may be more, but we're going to pull four out today. The first city that we came to last week, and we're going to look back at that passage a little bit today, is the city of Thessalonica. 
That city still exists today if you were to go to Greece. Salonika would be the name of it now, Thessalonica. At that time, it was the second largest city in Greece. It was a bustling port city, a very important city right there along the main interstate of that modern world or, that, or at least of modern Greece at that time. And, uh, and, and there, there in Thessalonica, this city of 200,000 people, I want you to see the response to the Word of God. Acts chapter number 17, let's begin in verse number 2. If you have your Bibles, let's read verse 2 aloud. Acts 17, verse 2. Ready? Begin. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the, out of the what? The Word of God. Now, when you read scriptures in the New Testament, it's almost always talking about the Old Testament. And when he says he reasoned with them because they didn't have the New Testament, it wasn't completed yet. Much of it had not been written at at different times as you're reading in the New Testament. So what they had, what the word of God that they had was the Old Testament. And when it says when they reason with them out of the scriptures, almost always it's talking about they reason with them out of the Old Testament there. And so he's preaching and and talking and dialoguing with them from the scripture, from the word of God. Verse 3, opening and alleging, we saw this last week, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul is preaching to the people at Thessalonica, this European city that had never heard the good news of Jesus, and he's telling them that this one that that has come, the Son of God, Jesus, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And and he's taking them back to the Old Testament because they didn't think he was, they didn't think a Messiah would be killed like that. They didn't think a Messiah, they were looking for a political savior, not not a spiritual savior. And so Jesus' life didn't match up with their picture of what Jesus should be. And he took them back to the Old Testament where it says the Messiah is going to suffer. The Messiah is going to be, gonna, gonna, he's going to die. The Messiah is going to rise again. Notice the response, the first response in verse number four. The first five words, would you read them aloud with me? The first five words of verse four. Ready, begin. And some of them believed. And some of them believed. What will you do with the word? The first thing I see in this passage, what the response was there, number one, they received the word. They heard the good news that, Jesus, that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus, and Jesus came to live a sinless life, to die in their place, to pay for their sins. He was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. We just sang about it here. He, our resurrected king. And some of them, when they heard that, when they heard the word, they received it. They believed. They said, we believe this is true. We want to make Jesus our Savior. And may I just say, there may be some in this room today or those watching online that that need to make that decision that today is the day I will receive the word, the living word, Jesus Christ. Their response, how do you do in receiving the word in your life? Is it always a battle? Is it always a fight? Well, why do I have to do that? Well, where in the Bible does it say that? Well, how come I can't do And what? Well, that was 2,000 years ago. I don't know if that's really up to date for today. Is your, is your, your mindset always kind of a pushback against the principles of Scripture? Or do you receive it and say, God, I receive it. Teach me. I want to know. I, I want to humble myself. Teach me. I, I accept. I receive the word. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Some in Thessalonica, they received the world, but word, but not everyone in Thessalonica did. The second response to the word is verse number five. They rejected the word. Notice verse number five. 
I don't hear any kids saying amen. Am I not hitting any of the bingo, bingo words yet? I'll have to work on that. Verse five, let's see what it says. But the Jews which believed not, by the way, the Jews were religious people. They believed in God. They would tell you they believed the Bible, but they didn't receive the word, the living word, Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. The Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason. They fought against believers, and sought to bring them out to the people. They rejected the word. Paul and Silas come to Thessalonica, and as their manner was, they come to the synagogue, people that were supposed to Synagogue was on the bingo card, I guess. They come to the, the synagogue, people that were, great idea, Caleb, uh, where, where uh, people, people wanted to learn about, they were supposed to have a desire to learn uh, about the word of God. And they get there and the word of God is preached and some received it and some rejected it. Some rejected the word. They let these people, they let their religion get in the way of God's working in their lives. They let their personal interests, because, because the gospel wasn't good for business down at the synagogue, they let their financial priorities, they let their personality conflicts, they let their peers get in the way of following Christ. Does that sound familiar to anybody today? We let our religion, our personal interests, our peers, our financial priorities, our person, personality conflicts get in the way of following Christ. Well, and we get scared. If I, if I really start to let the word change me, if I really start to receive the word and say, I'm going to base my entire life upon what the Bible teaches, what's that going to mean? What's that going to change about my life, about my schedule, about my family, about my budget, about my priorities, about my pleasure? And we get scared to really jump all the way in and say, God, I want your word to control every aspect of my life. And so even if we don't quite like them, we sometimes reject the parts of the word that don't fit in with what we want to do. We reject the parts of the word that, that don't do that. If I really start to let the word change me, what's my life gonna look like? We see what happened with those that rejected it. It led to wrong associations. They, they found some rough characters to surround themselves with. It, it led to wrong actions in their lives. It led to lies. It led to hurting good people. By the way, rejecting the word will always lead to regretful decisions in our lives. These, these Jews, these religious people, by rejecting the word, they ended up with wrong associations. They ended up doing wrong things. They ended up lying about, about good people. They ended up hurting good people. Rejecting the word will always lead to regretful decisions in our lives. With both groups of people, talk to me now. We've talked about two responses to the word. The first response to Thessalonica, they what, church? They received the word. The second group, they what? Rejected the word. But with both of these groups of people, we see that their response to the word affected their behaviors. And may I say this, church, our beliefs always affect our behaviors. You see, I, you, you might say, I've received the word. If the word is not changing us from the inside out, 
Now, the Christian life is not a life lived from the outside in. Sometimes Christians want to say, let me get all this fixed. Let me get, make sure I, I wore the right thing to church and cut my hair the right way and I wore the right shoes and I look right and I sang the songs the right way. And we think if I do all the right things on the outside, that must be an evidence that I am right on the inside. And Jesus spoke very strongly to people with that mindset all through the Gospels. They were called the Pharisees. And he said, you are whited sepulchers. You look good. It's polished marble tombstones on the outside, it's really impressive, these tombstones, but the inside, it's full of dead men's bones. He said, you're like a dirty cup. You wash the outside, but the inside is filthy. Oh no, the Christian life is not lived from the outside in. It's lived from the inside out. But a true Christian life that's lived from the inside will come out in our lives. Our beliefs will always affect our behaviors. So the goal is not to change my behaviors. The goal is to receive the word internally and let that life-changing word, it begins to change the way I think. It changes the way I talk. It changes the way I treat my wife. It changes the way I treat my children. It changes the things I put into my body. It changes the, the substances that I will or won't partake of. It changes the websites that I'll go to. Now, I, I, the goal is not to create a long list of, I don't go to these websites and I don't put this in my body. The goal is to get into the word and then let the Holy Spirit and the Word convict us and change those things. But if we truly receive the Word, it will change some things about us. You see, receiving the Word is not just mental assent, agreeing that I believe there is a God. I believe the Bible is true. The question we, we need to ask ourselves, has it changed our lives? You see, in Thessalonica, those that received the Word, it changed their lives, and those that rejected the Word, it affected their behaviors. What, 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 what you have faith in, what I have faith in or believe affects our behaviors. Let me just see. Adults, how many of you have direct deposit? Your paycheck gets directly deposited into your bank. Let me see. I, that's me. I don't ever have to think about going to the bank. Most of us, right? What does that behavior say about our belief system? It says we have faith in the banking industry. Now, you don't have to go too far back in history Maybe to your grandparents, depending on your age, your grandparents or great-grandparents, if they were offered direct deposit, they would have never taken it. Why? Because they had lived through the Great Depression. My grandma, who today sits in a nursing facility in, in Northern California, she, she, she lived as a child through the Great Depression. And my mom would often say when she'll go to Costco, she would buy all kinds of food. And at, at one point, it was just my mom and my grandma living together. And, and, and mom, we can't eat all this. My mom would give food away. But I think, and I don't know for sure, but my mom thinks there's something she never wanted to be without food in her house ever again. Because as a child, she had gone days where the only meal she got was maybe a, a butter sandwich, a piece of toast. And your, your belief system affects your behavior. Why do, we, why do we direct deposit? Because we believe that banks are safe places. But in the Great Depression, what did they do? Many hid their money under mattresses or in tin cans. Or I've been to people's homes and in books, and they'll, they'll, they'll put a $100 bill in different pages throughout the books and those things. Why? Because they, they, their faith, they didn't have the same faith that you and I have in the trustworthiness of financial institutions. If you and I believe the stock market was going to completely crash next month, what would we do this week? We would liquidate all of our investments in the stock market. Your life, my life, will reveal what we truly believe to be true. 
Where you spend your time, where you spend your money, how you treat others, what you give your life to, our beliefs affect our behaviors. Do your actions reveal the reality that you have truly received the word or rejected the word? Let me ask that question again. Do your actions truly reveal the reality that you have received the word or rejected the word? So in Thessalonica, we've got two responses to the word, and I'm asking you, what will you do with the word? The first thing they did, some, a group of people did what? They received the word. The second group of people did what? They rejected the word. We're going to move on to Berea. Let's go to verse number 10. We're going to move along to Berea here in verse number 10. Some of you are a little late. Verse 10. And the brethren immediately, but you're still doing good. I'm proud of you. The brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were, notice, I want to, let's read verse 11 together. I want to read verse 11 together. Ready? Begin. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Notice that therefore, because of their, their, their um, a relationship to scripture, it affected their, their, their behavior. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. A lot of really important people came to knowledge and, and saving faith in Christ. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timothy abode there still. Let's throw that map back up if we can one more time. We'll throw that map up. Notice there from, from Thessalonica, Thessalonica, they had some problems there. People reject them, so they end up leaving. They go to Berea, they start preaching, and a bunch of people start getting saved. Somehow, g- gossip travels fast, I guess. Somehow, word got back to Thessalonica. Hey, Paul and Silas are right over there at Berea. So these people that had rejected the word literally felt like these critics, these opponents, literally felt like it was their job to, to go over to Berea to get them kicked out of that town as well. And it's amazing what people that reject the word, the spirit which, with which they can begin to behave. And so they travel over there. But before they do, and this is all we know about the believers in Berea, there's really one verse that we read aloud, verse 11 in Berea, that describes what these people were like. The Bible says they received the word with all readiness of mind. They said they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The ones in Thessalonica were great. A lot of them got saved. But these were even better because not only did they receive it, but did you see it in verse 11? They searched the scriptures daily. Number three, a third response to the word, they researched the word. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And may I say this morning that far too many Christians have far too casual a relationship with the word of God. And for that matter, far too many pastors and Christian leaders at times have far too casual. We say that we believe in the inerrancy of scripture and the, the whole counsel of God. And then we, we, we preach it to align with our values and our ideas and our agendas. And we twist, twist scripture. But these, these believers at Berea, The Bible says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received it and then searched it daily whether those things were so. And I want to just take a moment here with our church and just say, sometimes people get different ideas. Don't believe that Bible study is just something for the pastor or missionary or evangelist or Sunday school teacher. Bible study, really searching scripture and learning it and knowing it and applying it to your lives is something for every 
believer, for every Christian, for every one of us, they researched the word. Well, study is just something for the pastor to do, something for the missionary to know. It's, it's a sad indictment in, in, in the English language, countries that speak. We have an abundance of scripture in America and in our language and in our generation. Our family alone, seven of us probably own 25 or 30 different Bibles uh, in my office and at home and in their bedrooms. We have an abundance of scripture and yet we are starving for a lack of biblical knowledge in our churches today. We have an abundance of scriptural ignorance in the lives of Christians far too often. Of the Bereans, I see they researched the word. I, I see, number one, they studied the word gladly. The Bible says with, they, they, they re received it with all readiness of mind. They were open-minded, excited. Teach me. I want to know more. They studied the word gladly. They, they had open hearts, not hardened, cynical hearts. And by the way, this, I believe, is the first step to becoming a student of the Bible, a teachable spirit, a humble spirit coming to God before you study and, and praying and saying, God, would your spirit guide me and show me what I need to know? Would you teach me what it is that this means and change me? And I want to receive this with all readiness of mind, that studying the Bible was not something they had to do. It was something they got to do. And may I encourage families, have your children in here, uh, do your best to begin to develop a love in your home for the word of God. And as they get of age, begin to give them opportunities to read and to study and maybe a, a little children's plan or a children's devotional that you read with them and create a love for the Word of God, a desire, a hunger that on their own, teenagers alike will study the Word of God on their own. They studied the Word gladly. Teach me, O oh God. Not only that, they studied the Word daily. Do you see it there? They searched the Scriptures daily. Christian, Christian that's watching online, Christian that's in the auditorium here, one service per week isn't enough. A, a daily endeavor of growth spiritually in your life. How many of you, you enjoyed a little bigger meal than normal this past Thursday on Thanksgiving, like our family? A little bigger meal. How many of you are still eating leftovers from Thursday and you've enjoyed those all, all hours of the day and night? How many of you at your house, it was turkey? 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 How many of you, it was ham? How many of you have something totally different? I heard a brisket over here. What else did we have? What, what, Shinsei, what did you guys have? I saw you waving there. Lamb? Roast lamb. All right, anybody else? Any steak and lobster out there? How many of you it was canned cranberry sauce? How many it was something homemade? How many of you don't like cranberry sauce? All right. We had canned cranberry sauce, which I like, and I never even ate any of it. We put it, poured it out of the can in the bowl, I don't know if anybody ate any of it. Is it still there? I'm going to have some this afternoon. How many of you, it's stovetop stuffing? Stovetop? How many of you, it's homemade? How many of you, it's nothing? All right. We could do this all day. Find out what was you can tell. I'm going to get everybody hungry here. What if you asked me, you came up to me after church and said, Pastor Ryan, what are you eating today? And I said, nothing. Well, what are you having for lunch? I said, nothing. What about dinner? Nothing. What do you mean? Are you fasting today? No. Well, did you eat yesterday? No, I didn't have anything yesterday. What? Like for breakfast? No. Lunch? No. Dinner? No. What about Friday? What did you eat on Friday? I didn't eat anything. And then you find, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I had a great meal on Thursday. 
I had a great meal Thanksgiving. I don't need to eat on Friday or on Saturday or on Sunday. We had a, a, a bigger than normal meal. We put a lot of work into it. it we, we got people together. It was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. It wasn't just the food. It was the fellowship. I, I don't need to do that again on Friday. Now, the reality is every meal is not going to be a Thanksgiving meal. And every time you open up God's word, it might not be for 75 minutes with a couple hundred of your closest friends. It might not be for an hour or two every day. But if I told you that I wasn't going to eat anything else the rest of this week because I had a meal on Thursday, what would you say? You'd say, number one, you're crazy. Number two, you're going to be sick really quickly. You're going to be weak. You're, you're not going to have the strength to do what you need to do. You're not going to have the strength to live your life. You're not going to be able to accomplish what you need to as a husband and a father and a pastor. And, and, and you're, you're, going to, you're going to, if you do that for very long, you can maybe drink enough water for a week or two or three or four, but you get much past a month without that. Pretty quickly, you're going to be in the hospital. You're going to have lost all kinds of weight. Your, your body's going to begin to eat. And you would tell me that's not healthy, Pastor Ryan. You can't make it on, on just one big meal for a week. And what is the Bible likened to? Spiritual food. The milk of the word, the meat of the word. And, and, and we, we, we would never do that in our lives uh, physically, but yet if we're not careful spiritually, the only time our families are being fed is maybe an hour or two on Sunday morning, or maybe even if we come back on Sunday night at five o'clock for the evening service, or maybe we come back Wednesday night for the family talk service at seven. And by the way, I think the more services you can come to, spiritually speaking, the, the healthier it is for you. But even if I told you I eat three meals a week, how healthy am I going to be? I'm not going to be very healthy if I eat three meals a week. I have to eat daily. Now, yesterday, my meals looked nothing like Thanksgiving. My morning meal was Captain Crunch. On Thanksgiving, it was homemade orange crescent rolls my wife made. And, and, and so Thanksgiving breakfast was much better than yesterday's breakfast. My lunch yesterday while I was finishing up some study was a bag of Cheez-Its. That was my lunch. Got some spiritual kids. My meal was better, some homemade chicken noodle soup. Is that one on the bingo card? I don't know. I, I don't know what they put on there. Um, so my meal, my meals were not nothing compared to Thursday, but you know what they did? They nourished me for what I needed to do yesterday. And the Bible likens our relationship with the word to meat and to milk. You need daily input of God's word. And again, you might set aside time for a little bigger meal on Sundays and Wednesdays and other corporate Bible studies, but if you and I only meet, eat one or two or three meals per week, we're gonna be unhealthy very quickly. The Christian needs daily spiritual meat, daily manna. Get in God's word, read it, listen to podcasts of preaching, devotionals, pray, grow, read books, make sure that they're doctrinally sound and correct, which is gonna lead us to our next point, but, but I read a recent poll, according to a recent Lifeway poll, only 11% of Americans have read the Bible through. And, and, and that's not, I'm not condemning you if you've never done that. What I'm challenging you is, we say we believe it. Do we read it? Do we study it? Do we share it if we have children with our children? Is it a daily part of our lives? They research the word daily, gladly daily. And then lastly, under the, under the research, they studied the scriptures carefully. Do you see it there? They didn't just take Paul and Silas at his word. And may I just say, I'm okay with you not just taking me at my word. I don't want to be a Baptist pope. I don't need to be some dictator in your life. I, I would like to be a spiritual leader in your life. But the only influence and power that I should have in your life is as it relates to the word of God, the scripture. 
I don't think it's healthy for a church family to have a, an adversarial spirit toward the teachers and preachers that God gives them. The Bible says that a pastor, according to God's own heart, is a gift. I don't think it's right to have an adversarial spirit. Let me always find, have I always preached everything perfectly? No. Let me find what's wrong. Let me go correct him every, every time in the lobby. I don't think that's a healthy spirit. But do you know what I do think is a healthy spirit? Whatever spiritual meat we're receiving, line it up with the Bible to see if it's so. With the right spirit. They weren't, they weren't doing that out of, I'm going to find out where, he, where Paul was wrong. No, they just said, that sounds really good. Let me make sure that's what the Bible says. We're receiving it with readiness of mind. We're ready to grow. But we want to make sure that's what the Bible, and, and Paul said, those weren't, well, they're just, they're just critics in the church. No, Paul said, those are noble Bereans. Why? They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. There, there is an abundance of spiritual content out there today, and church family, you must be discerning. You must line everything up with scripture. Again, you don't do this. You don't study the scriptures carefully, looking for a reason to justify what you want, or looking, you do it looking to make sure you're doing what God wants. But false doctrine and false teaching abounds in sometimes in churches that proclaim themselves to be Christians. Sometimes in churches that proclaim themselves to believe the Bible, false doctrine and false teaching abounds. Some famous pastors and churches and Christian authors spread dangerous theology that can lead people astray. There are some of the songs that I enjoy the most that come out of ministries that come out, and, and the song, there's nothing theologically wrong with that particular song, but if you start to listen to some of the preaching out of that place that wrote that song. It's some dangerous false teaching. You and I, it's why we must study gladly and we must study daily. Why? So that we can study carefully to be able to line up because there are people sitting in churches all across Orange County and all across America and all around the world that today believe they're hearing the right things, but the Bible says that grievous wolves will slip in, teaching false doctrine in the name of God. The Bereans said, we're going to search it carefully to make sure that's what the Bible really teaches. And do you know there are times where people ask me questions and they say, why do we do that? Why don't we do that? Why do you believe that? And I say, it's just, that's just my preference. Everything that I do doesn't have to have a script. Why, why do we eat dinner at five o'clock? That's our preference. It's not a scriptural thing. Why, why do I have a tie on today? And last week I didn't have a tie on. It was my preference to put a tie on this morning. Now, for a pastor to stand up, and I've heard pastors stand up and preach, if you don't wear a tie, you don't really love God, and you're what's wrong with America, well, that's, that, search the scriptures. And I'm not trying to be adverse. I'm just using a dumb illustration. Search the scriptures, whether they be so. Study God's word carefully, not so that you can prove what's wrong with everyone else, so that you can be walking in the right way yourself. Make sure that that devotional, that commentary, the books, the Christian radio, your favorite Christian television pastor, make sure that those things you're being influenced by line up with Scripture. And if you're not sure, talk to one of the spiritual leaders here. And, and if you're not sure what I said, I don't know that the Bible teaches that. Let's talk. I had somebody, we sang a song about a year ago, and they came up and said, I, I don't like that line. I'm not sure that that theologically makes sense. And, and my, it was in the lobby, and I said, you know what, I'm going to give that some thought. And I went back, and I studied, and it was, it was a beautiful scriptural theological line, but I, I didn't, that person didn't have a wrong spirit. They just said it didn't sound right. That, in fact, the line was, um, um, once your enemy, now seated at your table. They said, I don't like the, God loved us. We're, we're never his enemies. But the Bible literally says, while we were his enemy. And so that person wasn't wrong, but it just sounded weird at first. Like, God doesn't have enemies. God loves us. 
And, and, and they brought it to me in the, in the lobby. And that's okay. We can have, uh, truth is not afraid of questions, but be sure, study the scriptures carefully, learn, grow, dig into the word, learn to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and to teach you. It will change your life. Do you see it there in verse 12? Therefore, because of that, many of them believed because they researched the scriptures, they received the scriptures, their study changed their belief and their behavior. Now, Paul moves on to his third location, and this is the last for today. They put him on a boat, and he heads over. If we can throw that map up, there it is. They put him on a boat there at Berea. You see the green arrow, and the, he goes on a boat, and he heads over into Athens. He goes to that great historic city in Greece. It's a place, Athens was a place that was recognized as a center of culture and education. And what did those in this great historic cultural uh, educational center, what did they do with the word? Number four, what will you do with the word? Number four, they ridiculed the word. Look at verse 15. Bingo. Someone said bingo. <laughs> All right. Wait till after church and you'll get your prize. I've never had anybody this excited about my preaching. We're bringing the kids in every week. Verse 15. I'm going to start passing bingo cards out to you adults next Sunday. Most amens I've had in five years. Acts 17, verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now Paul, while Paul waited for them at Athens, he's there alone, his spirit was stirred in him. Why? He saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, people that supposedly believed God, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They were always looking. And what did they think of Paul? They called him there. They, they said, what will this babbler say? Who is this guy? And what kind of nonsense is he talking about it? What do you philosophers think about this? And this doesn't sound... And, and all of these that had been lifted up in their own pride and in their own education when they were presented with the word of God, what did they do? They ridiculed it. The Epicureans here, we use that word today, we associate it with the pursuit of pleasure or, or fine living. And you'll see sometimes that word used as, as a description about certain things. But it comes from here, and Epicurus, the founder of, of that group of people, he was an existentialist. He sought truth by means of personal experience. You see, the Epicureans were materialists and atheists. Their goal in life was pleasure. Living in Orange County, is there any materialism in any of our lives? Sure. And the goal in life, it seems, is pleasure. In America, any materialism in America? You don't have to look farther than Black Friday. Materialism, and that, that, was, that was that group of people. The Stoics, we use that word, oh, that man is very stoic. The Stoics, most important thing in life was to follow one's reason to be self-sufficient. They were unmoved by, sought to be unmoved by inner feelings or outward circumstances. 
This philosophy fanned the flames of pride and taught men they did not need God. So the Epicureans said, if you had to summarize it, this group of people, enjoy life. The Stoics said, endure life. And Paul says, I want to teach you how to enter into eternal life. And what was the response? Ridicule. Now, now, the next time we're in this, we have Don Sisk, uh, Dr. Don Sisk here next Sunday, the following Sunday. We'll see what Paul's message to them is there on Mars Hill, this group of secular uh, opponents, these folks that are ridiculing him, that they, they have been enlightened in their, in their philosophy and in their, in their belief systems. They have been enlightened beyond the truths of Scripture again. Sound like anything familiar in 2020? We've been enlightened in our politically correct world beyond the truths of Scripture. And what is happening more and more and more in the public circle, in our world and in our country and in our state, the principles of Scripture are being ridiculed. I read a poll this week that said 40, only 48%, if this poll is true, 48% of Americans believe in the deity of Christ. That means that, that the deity of Christ means that we believe Jesus was and is God. Not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, not just a good man. He it was and is the Son of God. He is, he, is, he is co-equal with God. He is part of the Trinity. He, by the way, the deity of Christ is what our entire faith rests upon. If Christ be not risen, we're yet in our sins and our faith is vain. It's worthless. If Jesus is not God, if he was not God when he walked on this earth, if he is not God eternally, if he was not God eternal past to eternal future, if Jesus was and is not God, then what you and I are doing today is a complete waste. Every part of our faith rests upon the belief that Jesus is God. And according to this poll, those that believe that in the country you and I live in are now in the minority. Do you know what that means? Everything that drives our faith by a majority of the nation is going to be viewed with, with cynicism, with opposition, and at times with ridicule. Our most recent Supreme Court Justice, Amy Coney Barrett, I understand is a Catholic, which we would have some very strong theological differences with Catholics, some very strong differences in their beliefs, but we would hold to some of the same doctrinal positions and some of the things that she would believe, we would believe very strongly. And you know what they tried in the news media? They tried to make her, because of what is just a pretty orthodox biblical position on some things, make her sound like this fringe lunatic kook over really what the things that they pointed out. Well, she's a part of this group that believes this, and you listen to what they believed, and it's just orthodox faith in the Bible. That is the day and age in which we are living in, and, 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 and the farther we drift from God, the stranger that your faith and mine is going to seem to some, which is why we must receive the Word, why we must research the Word gladly, daily, and carefully. Why? So that we have a foundation to stand when others ridicule, to be ready to give an answer, not to win an argument, to, to share the truth and hope that their lives will be changed. That's what Paul did. Paul didn't back down from any secular society. He wasn't scared of any group of philosophers. Philosophers. He wasn't scared about the news media of his day not liking his message, and he was not an opponent to them. What did he do? He went in and preached the truth, seeking to see life change in their lives, seeking to see the gospel change those that didn't believe those things. Next Sunday, we'll see how Paul responds to those that ridiculed Scripture in two Sundays in, here in Athens. But until then, I want you to consider your response to God's Word. Do you receive it? Are you here this morning you say, there's never been a time when I've received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? 
Do you reject it? You know you can reject it as an unbeliever and say, I don't want Jesus, but we can also reject it as believers. After we've been saved, it was good enough to, 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 to get me saved, to forgive me of my sins, but I don't want that messing up my lifestyle. I don't want those things messing up my priorities. I don't want God's word messing up my family. By the way, God's word will never mess up your family, but in our, in our, in our foolishness as humans, we sometimes think that way. I don't want it messing up all of my plans. Do you reject God's word? How are you doing in researching God's word? Do you gla- are you excited to go to church? Are you excited to open God's word and to learn? Are you excited to know more? Are you excited to put on a podcast and to grow in him and to read a devotional? Are you excited to daily, gladly, daily, and carefully, be careful of false doctrine, carefully study the scriptures? So the question this morning is, and kids, you've listened well. Parents, you have a few more months till you have to do this again. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Here's the question. I don't know every heart here. I don't know every life story. I don't know everything you're facing. I don't know everything you believe. You do. God does. Here's the question. What will you do with God's word? What will you do with Jesus? Will you receive him? Will you let him change you? Or will you say, no, I've got this on my own. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.